0: and Peter Schweizer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This
1: is The Drilldown with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and abuse of power. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and the vice president of the Government Accountability Institute, Eric Eggers. We're looking at the news. Vladimir Putin is the international pariah that he deserves to be. But don't worry, Eric. The Clintons are here to save us.
2: The Clinton business model remains undefeated where a crisis exists in the world. Uh, The Clintons just seem to have a knack for finding ways to be involved and or you hate to sort of say it, uh, but be involved in some level of financial transaction, sometimes on either side of it.
1: That's exactly right. The Associated Press is now reporting that Bill and Hillary Clinton are cranking up the Clinton Global Initiative again, and they say explicitly to try to deal with the war in Ukraine. So apparently <laughs> these, these conferences that they hold in New York, which are fundraisers, which are deal-making uh, opportunities for the Clintons, uh, are going to somehow help combat the war.
2: I'm sure it's got nothing to do with the fact that Hillary Clinton's being mentioned as a potential presidential aspirant in 2024. Uh, I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that donations to the Clinton Foundation have dropped dramatically down. I think we talked about 60% from the peak. 75%. 75% yes. from yep. the peak when uh, in 2016 when she was the candidate for president. And I'm sure it's got nothing to do with the fact that, uh, oh, I don't know, you know, there's lots and lots of people trying to bolster the international reputation.
1: That's right. That's right. So, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin is this international pariah. But what we want to do is go back and chart an interesting, curious history here that a lot of people don't know. And that is the history of the Clintons role in actually strengthening Mm. Vladimir Putin. Uh, They helped us propel us to where we are today. Uh, They helped Vladimir Putin uh, develop his economy, advance his influence around the world. And by the way, the Clintons got paid handsomely for doing it. Um, If you hear the discussion today, you've probably seen it, Eric. What's so funny is that all these people are going on cable news and TV shows and saying Vladimir Putin has changed. He's different than he was five or 10 years ago. Uh, that, to me, is absolutely patently ridiculous. Uh, well, you've
2: noted we did a podcast about this last week, and I think the goal of this week's podcast is to highlight, you know, because we touched on kind of big picture stuff, but the the many different enablers, both in the Obama administration and within the Clinton family who have helped bolster Vladimir Putin, and I think in some ways you could say have, have sort of directly led to the crisis we currently find ourselves in. But we thought it'd be good to kind of walk through literally the man who wrote the book on it, uh, walk through the specific transactions. And as you recall, because that book came out seven years ago, book came out in 2015. Right. And re engaging with some of the material, it's wild. It is. How, like, <laughs> I mean, the, the best word I can use to describe it is like gauche. You know, <laughs> like, wait, really? Like, you got, especially in the context of today. But even then, to have the, um, the gall and the unmitigated uh, just like lack of concern for any ramifications to do the things that the Clintons did directly to benefit Vladimir Putin and themselves, right? It's pretty wild.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it is. And we're going to talk about, you're going to hear some interesting, strange names like Skolkovo. We talked about this a little bit last week, but we want to go into a little bit more detail. And we want to talk about the Uranium One deal, which was heavily in the news in the 2016 presidential campaign and before that. But really talk about what the Clintons actually did, because this has, has ramifications for what's going on right now, because, you know, we're Imposing these sanctions. It was just announced we're even going to be sanctioning Russian oil, but there's one thing we're not going to be sanctioning, and that's Russian uranium, because we are so dependent upon Russian uranium, we can't afford to uh, boycott it because it would shut down our nuclear reactors. And the Clintons are responsible for giving Russia that leverage over the United States.
2: Yeah, we'll talk to future or former Secretary of Energy, uh, Spencer Abraham, a little right. bit later in this podcast, which is awesome. He's a former senator, he's a big time guest, and he'll, I think, shed some light on what the uranium situation looks like globally today. But it's impossible to talk about our reliance on foreign uranium now without talking about one specific question phrase, the name of a company that's became quite famous and actually was trending on Twitter recently, and that's Uranium One.
1: Yep, Uranium One. This is a fascinating case. Uranium One is uh, was a Canadian company. Uh, and it was uh, started by a guy named Frank Justra a Canadian uh, speculator you could say mining that's a music investor. background too right like- he he actually uh, uh, owned and invested in Lionsgate right the uh, the uh, movie company uh, but what's interesting about Frank Justra is he became pals with Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton of course is start of the Bill and Hillary Clinton Foundation uh, was looking to raise a lot of money and they concocted this scheme uh, we Talk about this in uh, Clinton Cash. This was also reported in the New York Times. And it all involves these uranium mines in Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan has some of the most important uranium deposits in the world. And, of course, uranium is what fuels nuclear power plants in the United States and around the world. And Bill Clinton took a trip with Frank Justra to Kazakhstan which is on the border of Russia, uh, and Bill Clinton convinced the presidents of that country, Nazarbayev, this corrupt dictator uh, who Putin has a lot in common with, and Bill Clinton convinced Nazarbayev to sell those mines to his pal, Frank Joustra. Uh, after that deal went through, Joustra made a $100 million commitment to the Clinton Foundation and quickly wired a third of that, some $31 million to the Clinton Foundation, literally within weeks of this deal being secured. So it was this you know, incredible quid pro quo. Um, and Bill Clinton talked about how Nazarbayev, this dictator, was a misunderstood guy. He was a great humanitarian, even though he's a, th- a thug. This was a classic kind of Clinton maneuver. Now, Frank Juster's a Canadian. What's the big deal of giving <laughs> this uranium to a Canadian, right?
2: It's international swapping. No. I mean-
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Except Frank Juster then turns around and sells those mines to Rosatom, which is the Russian state owned uranium company. What can go wrong with this, Eric?
2: So, you, you know, we have a. One of the rules we have for Peter Schweitzer, by the way, just this little <laughs> behind the curtain insight into what we do at GAIs, Peter Schweitzer will say a thing and it's like a lot of names and a lot of transactions. Then we have to say, you have to then go back and tell everybody what you just told them. <laughs> right. So so you said like they went to Kazakhstan. They didn't go to see like the historic roots of the Apple industry, no, right? they which, did which not. are actually to <laughs> come from Kazakhstan. but I didn't know that. Yeah, hey,
1: man. This Fascinating.
2: There's an ACT passage about it actually. is. <laughs> <laughs> But so they didn't, and it wasn't an accident that Bill Clinton went with Frank Dewster, right? Because, right. like, why would Frank Dewster need Bill Clinton to go with him to Kazakhstan to do this uranium deal? But I think the key so this Canadian guy who is friends with Bill Clinton, before he gives $100 million to the Clinton Foundation, which we know, in addition to bolstering their political aspirations, also help subsidize some of their personal lifestyle Absolutely. aspects, right? Yep. So it's literally putting money in Bill Clinton's pocket. They go there so that they can try to like he needs the dictator of Kazakhstan's permission to basically acquire this these mines, right? This uranium or to help. And in return, you didn't. It's not just that Bill Clinton said nice things about this dictator; it's that he bolstered his international reputation, Absolutely. which allowed him to gain access to this coveted international
1: group that previously wouldn't have touched. him. Yeah, the the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Boy, that that's a snooze of a name. Right? <laughs> Nobody's ever heard of it. It's actually pretty important, and for a guy like Nazarbayev, who is was at that time kind of an international pariah Mm -hmm. because of his human rights policies and and, uh, uh, crazy behavior, uh, was not going to be a member of that club. Well, he became a member of that club because Bill Clinton vouched for him. And said, no, 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 he's a good guy. He's misunderstood. So it was a triangulation. Nazarbayev got this international credibility from a former American president. Frank Justra got the mines. And then ultimately he was able to sell them to the Russians who got what they wanted, which was consolidated control of the uranium market. And of course, Bill Clinton walked away with a hundred million dollars uh, uh, from Frank Justra. So, but rather than me talking about the implications of this, let's bring on an expert to Tell us why this matters. So this issue of American dependence on Russian uranium is fascinating, and uh, we have a, a very important guest to shed some light on this, a former U.S. Senator and Energy Secretary Spencer Abraham. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for joining us. Um, and, and just tell me, how much control does Russia actually have of the world uranium market, and why is this a problem?
0: Well, first, good to be with you. Second, it's uh, Russia's role is, is a challenge for all of us. But before we even get to their role, I think it's important for people to, to fully understand how dependent the United States is on imported uranium. Uh, right now, almost 98% of the uranium that is used to fuel our nuclear power fleet is imported. Russia provide Russia and and its 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 neighbors uh, in uh, Kazakhstan uh, alone provide nearly uh, half of the uranium that we use. And you know we were upset back in the days when we imported seventy percent or close to seventy percent of our oil, and we thought that was a a tremendous national security risk. Just think about how much at risk we are when ninety eight percent of our uranium is coming from somewhere. Other than our own uh, uh, mining uh, programs, which could work if we gave them the chance. So the bottom line is we import a tremendous amount and Russia provides uh, approximately 20 percent of that to the U.S., but combined with its its neighbors and allies, it's closer to 50 percent.
1: And Kazakhstan is interesting because one of the things we're talking about, uh, Mr. Secretary, is this Uranium One deal, which is fascinating to me, where essentially uh, Bill Clinton, former president of the United States, convinced the leader of Kazakhstan, Nazarbayev, or encouraged him to sell uh, some very, very uh, important uh, uranium mines to a Canadian friend named Frank Justra, who, of course, was, um, you know, funding the Clinton Foundation. And then Frank Justra turned around and sold those mines as part of Uranium One to the Russians. So is it fair to say that that transaction bolstered Russia's position uh, in terms of uh, American dependence on world uranium resources?
0: Well, it did when it when that transpired. And when I was at the Department of Energy, one of our foremost objectives on the national security front, was to try to re- return more independence to the U.S. nuclear uh, fuel cycle, and we did a number of things to try to get there. We didn't accomplish all of them in that time frame, but it's an issue that's continued to be part of my thinking uh, ever since, and that's why I'm I'm very happy that uh, Uranium Energy Corporation last year was able to to, to acquire Uranium One back from the Russians just before this recent set of events in Ukraine uh, so that at least we've got that mind back in U.S. ownership.
1: Yeah. So the hope is we can develop a vibrant American uh, uranium uh, industry and become less dependent. Of course, with all the Russia sanctions going on today, we're now banning Russian oil. We are not going to be banning uranium inputs, in, imports because of this dependency. So, Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for joining us and shedding light uh, for us uh, on this important topic.
2: Just before you go, Mr. Secretary, really quickly, is that, was that transaction, is that one you might not have approved had you been in office at the time?
0: Uh, I think I, I wouldn't have. I think the 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 CFIUS process that is, you know, a group of federal agencies uh, that join together to approve or reject these kinds of foreign transactions, approved it under uh, the Obama administration when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. I, I'm highly confident it would not have been approved under the Bush administration, given that one of our foremost priorities was to return more U.S. control to the nuclear. Uh, fuel developments.
1: Thank you, Mr. Secretary. We appreciate your time. So that's the Uranium One deal and the reason that today uh, we cannot cut off our uranium supply from Russia. And this was courtesy of the Clintons.
2: 20%. I didn't realize that. Uh, two things I learned in that interview. Number one, that we rely on 20% of our uranium use that comes from Russia. And number two, that the Uranium One was recently reacquired. Right. Exactly. So it's no longer a Russian asset.
1: Yeah. The, the American mine. So it's important to point out Uranium One had these Kazakh mines, which are hugely productive, hugely important. And then they also had some uh, like uh, mines in, in the United States. Exactly. In Utah, which are... Important, but not nearly as productive as these Kazakh mines. Those, the American mines are now owned by an American company. And hopefully, in what the secretary told us, we can start cranking up our domestic uranium production so we're less dependent on these foreign sources. And
2: by the way, is there a common theme that's emerging in Vladimir Putin's theme? I mean, we, talk, we did a podcast maybe a month ago about Nord Stream 2 and, so, and how yeah. critical that's been. And that is the pipeline by which we'll which control natural gas throughout the entirety of Western Europe that for right. some reason we thought would be a great idea to let Vladimir be in charge of. And that's essentially what's happening now. But it shows you he's been acquiring natural resources, been acquiring and empowering Russia in terms of their ownership of energy resources right. since he's been in
1: charge. Yeah, exactly. And on what planet would anybody think – this is going on in you know 2010 through 2015 – on what planet would anybody think it was it would be a good idea to give Vladimir Putin leverage over the world uranium market? But that's what the Clintons essentially helped them to do. And they were engaged in another harebrained, ridiculous, <laughs> profitable scheme uh, called Skolkovo, which, which is kind of a strange name. A lot of people haven't heard of it. So t- to back up, Hillary Clinton becomes secretary of state. Uh, when uh, Barack Obama becomes president. By this time, we kind of already know who Vladimir Putin is. Uh, remember how he came to power? Do you know the story of how Vladimir Putin came to power? Uh,
2: I know that he was a former KGB agent. He was, yes. And I think at some point they like did something. I mean, Put it this way. It's not like you write a great campaign. <laughs> well, it, 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 well said. It wasn't like it was like Obama in 04. Yeah, you know, yeah. we got yeah. gay people we love in the red states and yeah. people who love God in the blue states. It wasn't like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't, it wasn't like a great campaign theme <laughs> song or anything like that. No, it actually happened uh, in 1999. There were a series of apartment bombings in Russia that killed 300 people. Uh, and the bombings were blamed on the Chechens. Remember, they were the sort of this breakaway region of Russia. And it triggered a war in Chechnya. Now, what's critical here is that event, within three months of those bombings, Vladimir Putin becomes president of Russia. Huh. Interesting. Interesting curiosity. And that led to a lot of speculation and a lot of research and evidence from scholars, foreign intelligence agencies. It says, you know what, Eric? We don't think that actually the Chechens did those bombings. They actually think it was done by the FSB, which was the follow-on to the KGB. That it was Putin's buddies who actually did these bombings because it allowed Putin, the strongman, to come up and say, "Don't worry, I will protect you." This sounds
2: like the Russian equivalent of the uh, jet fuel can't melt steel beams <laughs> argument. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> so you know it, it's it's a fascinating um, look, and and so Putin came to power. With all these questions being asked in the West, the Clintons certainly had to know about this. Of course, in 2008, Putin had invaded Georgia, not Georgia, United States, right. Georgia, the Georgia, the, the the bordering country. And of course, Putin by this time had already assassinated critics around the world. Of course, you had that case in the UK of somebody being poisoned. Mm-hmm. Um, so the point is, is everybody knew what Vladimir Putin was about, but they did the uranium one deal. They also did something called Skokovo. Hillary Clinton was in charge of this. She was Secretary of State in Skolkovo. The idea is pretty simple: we're going to help Russia create their own version of Silicon Valley,
2: and we'll invite United States corporations to come and participate in it. And the idea would be that okay, you'll have access to the Western market, uh, but the Clintons, as you noted, I mean, they weren't without. It is interesting. I mean, that think about what's happening. We just told you how the Clintons made money on empowering Russia, and now they're doing another the return of CGI to. To right. help with the ukraine crisis which you wonder like what was joe biden's reaction when he got that phone call like <laughs> over there, like don't worry about it, joe we're gonna have a meeting
1: right right <laughs> we're gonna, we're, have gonna a- we're gonna get a bunch of guys in new york <laughs> to meet and talk about this
2: ukraine you're welcome
1: yeah uh, but but here's the thing about Skokovo that's so crazy if you think about it our whole policy up to skoko Skokovo had been we don't want to give the ruskies too much access to technology send you and ruskies yeah because they're going to take that technology and apply it to their military. Right. Here comes Hillary Clinton six, eight months after they invaded neighboring Georgia and says, no, 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 we're going to change it entirely. We're going to encourage Western companies to give technology to Russia so they can create a Russian version of Silicon Valley. It's going to be in this town called Skokovo. And
2: what did the FBI say about it at the time?
1: Yeah. The FBI said, mm, this is not a great idea <laughs> because we know that the Russians are stealing technology and with Hillary Clinton's scheme, they didn't quite use those words, but with Skokovo, they're not going to have to steal it anymore because we're just going to give it to them. The Department of Defense said,
2: literally, you're just like, this is what they've been, remember the 80s? Remember yes. that? Like yeah. this, you guys, it's over now. Like yeah. we're just giving it to them.
1: That's exactly right. And so Skolkovo, in a sense, was technology transfer from the United States and from the West to Russia. To Vladimir Putin's Russia, and of course, it quickly came to be known that the technologies that were being given to them in Skolkovo, again, this was all arranged by Hillary Clinton and the State Department, that some of those technologies ended up in, lo and behold, the Russian military and is probably being used in Ukraine today.
2: So let's think about that. Let's think about something that Secretary Abraham said when we just talked to him, that he thinks that the Bush administration would not have permitted and would not have approved the Uranium One transaction, right? right? That, that would not have allowed Russia to acquire U.S. Uranium assets. And let's maybe assume that they would have been like-minded about not letting potential foreign threats acquire U.S. technology either. Right. So, right. so I mean, h- how do you explain, because it's a, dr- I mean, if, if you think about it in that context, how do you then explain the complete 180 perspective and posture of people like, Hillary Clinton and the Obama administration.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's amazing. I think part of it was, um, you know, arrogance. They thought like, well, you know, yeah, they've invaded Georgia, but we're smarter and we can help the Russians see the light uh, and help them become more moderate, bring them into the international community. It's kind of the same thing they argue with with China, right? Just give China all these deals. I think arrogance is part of it. I think the other part of it is cold, hard cash. There were a lot of companies that wanted access to the Russian market. There were a lot of Russians that wanted uh, relations to improve commercially so they could make money, and the Clinton Foundation and the Clintons personally got money from both sides.
2: It's wild, but, it, but it is, uh, it's their business model.
1: Yes, it is their business model. And that brings us back to the present time. So what we've been talking about is history, but it's important history because it explains the ugly underbelly. Of what goes on, we want to think and we want to believe that when we're looking at these horrific events of war and peace, of, of of people you know losing their homeland, that the focus of our leaders is exclusively on what can we do to protect us as a country and what can we maybe do to help people in other countries? I'm not saying go to war, but I'm saying we can help them in some ways, and we want them to just try to make the best decisions, and the problem is there's so much money sloshing around, mm. That with the Clintons, uh, then and today, money is absolutely a factor. Because I mean, I don't know. Maybe you feel differently, but do you really think that Bill and Hillary Clinton think having a CGI meeting in New York is going to somehow fix Ukraine?
2: I I do think they think. I mean, I think both things are true. I do think they think that. (laughs) Because look, I mean, they had a CGI meeting. We, you know, it's part of the research for Clinton Cash. There's a whole Haiti chapter, and they had a CGI meeting. I mean, this is the Clinton business model, right? They had a CGI meeting. Oh, we're going to do all this thing for Haiti, and like, what was one of the things that came out of their CGI meeting to benefit Haiti? They got a Haitian gold mining company (laughs) that (laughs) Hillary's brother went on the board of, right? right. And I think, I think that's that speaks to the whole like a lack of EQ, a lack of self awareness, Right, right? Like. Hillary, you you can't have your brother (laughs) joining the board of a gold mining company. When you guys, are when Haiti, you're getting, you're in charge of Haiti. Haiti's opening up uh, gold mining permits for the first time in 50 years after this earthquake. And your brother's on the board of one of the companies. Like, that's probably not a great look. But here's the question. But they're like, no, 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 but we're helping.
1: Yeah, but this is this is the thing. I mean, this is interesting, and there and obviously is no right answer because we can't look at deep into their souls. But I view it as complete and utter cynicism. Mm. I think they look at this, and yeah, maybe they think they can win the Nobel Prize by solving Ukraine. But I honestly think deep down for them, this is all transactional. You think there's a sel- there's a level of self delusion here where they kind of wrap it in their mind, and they actually think, yeah, we're going to help Haiti, and we're really going to help Ukraine. But, but it's delusion, and they're going. and I think it's just pure cynicism.
2: Yeah, you know, I think I've used this phrase before. I never mistake incompetence for conspiracy. And I think like, could it, is it conspiratorial? Like, is there like a level of intention about making sure that they benefit from everything? Absolutely. But could they also be so incompetent in terms of their thinking through what's going to possibly be beneficial? I think there's a real chance of it. I think what we've really proved in this just brief aside is how much more just kind of aligned with biblical principles I am because I see the best (laughs) of people. You know what I mean? Just over here.
1: (laughs) Have (laughs) you read the Old Testament? (laughs) (laughs) Have you read the Old Testament?
2: (laughs) I'm over here with love and grace. (laughs) You're over here bringing the Deuteronomy.
1: (laughs) No, but it is an interesting question um, and an interesting debate about why they make these decisions. But the bottom line, I guess, in some is we know that they make these decisions. It's entwined with their finances and they're now sort of. Presenting themselves in the world stage and that they're going to solve these problems and these issues. Hillary Clinton has said, um, just said on Morning Joe, I think it was this morning, uh, as we're taping this, that she is not going to run for president. I'm not sure I'm believing that. Well, because, right? I mean, t-
2: so if their business model, like money's important, right? right. Money's important to their whole deal. And what's important to their ability to get money? I mean, I don't think you can overstate that. Like what's proven to be integral. Their peak fundraising season in 2016, when she's considered not just the, she's not just the nominee, she's the front runner to be president. And they,
1: everybody thinks she's going to win. Everybody thinks
2: she's going to win. And then look at how dramatically the donations have dropped off. (laughs) Dried up. Right. Yeah. From like 60 to 16 million. Yeah. Right. Because neither one of them are relevant. Right. And so the fact that they are now hosting another one of these things got nothing to do with Ukraine. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I think you, you and I both think it's actually maybe the, Biggest sign that she will run for president? Again.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think they're they're entwined, and and all the activities, even Bill Clinton's speaking fees, the money he gets goes up depending on whether his wife has power or is going to be president of the United States. It's 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 really pretty extraordinary. So, in summation it is always about, and we say this all the time, it is always about follow the money, right? Try to understand the motives behind what people are doing. In the case of the Clintons, it's, it's to a certain extent out there. I mean, they're open about it. They're not holding a secret meeting. They're announcing to the world. They're wrapping it in this mantle of something humanitarian. But the bottom line is you always need to follow the money and Not saying that's necessarily the only motivation, but it's an important motivation. And when it comes to the Clintons and a lot of the posturing you're seeing today, when people are talking about Vladimir Putin and they're so upset and, oh, he's so changed, don't buy it. Look at their past history. Look at how they have helped, encouraged, and strengthened Vladimir Putin. Uh, And now that things have gone horrifically wrong, we cannot and will not let them off the hook.
2: I have one alternate hypothesis. What if the demand... And the reaction to their master classes was so great. They're like, we're back.
1: <laughs> we're, we're killing it. Yeah. Let's go do a CGI. The, the, the next, uh, next master class is going to be on international diplomacy, and they're going to use Ukraine as a as a test case. Well, you've been joining us on uh, The Drill Down. We always appreciate you taking the time and uh, spending it with us. Uh, if you're interested in other podcasts, you can go to thedrilldown.com. And remember, you can pick up a copy of my book, Red Handed. Uh, in fine bookstores and at amazon.com thanks so much for joining us